0: Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, This podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, so on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion during the live stream, and we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to Between the Before and After. I'm very excited to have my guest Leslie Holiday with me today. And sir, did I say holiday or holiday? <laughs> I'm like
1: it is holiday season, so uh, it's it, actually Holloway.
0: <laughs> I, I just I just had a momentary brain fart. It was like, did I say holiday? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's the fun part about this being live, is we don't get to rewind and we go, let's edit that one out. No, no, we'll keep that one. Um, how are you doing, Leslie?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, yeah. So before we dive into your story here, which is really quite a remarkable one, um, I always like to give people a little, little kind of snapshot of where you're at right now, kind of what what's going on with you, and if people want to get in touch with you, where they can find you, and then we'll we'll dive into your story and some of the things you've overcome.
1: Uh, well, yeah. So I am the managing partner of a large personal injury law firm here in uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I supervise a staff of overall we have a, almost 100 employees. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of those employees over half report directly to me. Uh, so I have a large staff, a lot of attorneys. And um, uh, so I'm I'm doing that uh, daily. I'm also mom of yeah. two little boys. <laughs> uh, so I have that on my plate. And um, I am just typically working, volunteering for their school. Um, trying to, you know, we have over 2,000 litigation files that we're working on. Wow! Okay. Uh, so it's it's a it's a, a large practice. Um, okay. So I'm doing that.
0: So you're 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 a lawyer. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Among other things, uh, you're, you're a lawyer. Your mom. You're, you're many other things as well. But in, in your profession, you're, you're a lawyer. You know, and, and I think about how the legal uh, profession is presented in television shows and series and movies and things like that. And kind of my, my thought is that um, I, I'm curious, actually, when you watch it and you watch representations of lawyers on on, on things like that, what, what kind of runs through your head?
1: Well, I think that I was definitely more intrigued by uh, those shows before I actually became a lawyer. I, I did go to school for <laughs> acting for my undergrad and Fair um, enough. I... I think that I originally thought I just wanted to be playing the lawyer on TV (laughs) rather than be an actual
0: (laughs) lawyer. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I grew up watching LA law, I think was a a big show back when I was sort of a kid. It wasn't quite the law and order, but um, you Mm -hmm. know, if they have good advisors on set, I think that they can really get it right. And some of those, uh, some of those legal things can be really intriguing. I mean, I'll still get sucked into a, a law and order marathon, <laughs> but right, right, that's right, criminal. Yeah. And so it's different yeah. from
0: what I do. I do civil law. Um, yeah. Yeah. There maybe isn't quite as much drama in that. I think most times, I guess if they're going to do do a show around something legal, it's usually going to involve criminal and oftentimes like murder or, or like something that's really dramatic and something has a storyline that just pulls us in and, and, and kind of compels us. And so, um, but I think, so you might still have an opportunity to be, to act as a lawyer.
1: I you know, don't. At some, Uh, I mean, I I did some volunteer work for um, a scholarship where the lawyers get together and put on sort of a show, sort of a Saturday Night Live type uh, show. So I have done some acting still, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds with that.
0: That, that would be kind of fun to be like, well, I was a lawyer in real life for X number of years, so now I get to play one. And, and you know, maybe you could do, be like a singing musical lawyer just to like, uh, <laughs> just, just to, that you know, be great? <laughs> right, right. Going going into, uh, has there been a musical drama around a courtroom sort of story?
1: Well, I don't know about a musical drama. You know, they made Legally Blonde into a musical for Broadway. Oh, fair enough. And, okay, uh, that was a really big hit. And then. And then a few good men, which a lot of people are familiar with, it was actually a play, uh, the one okay, with Tom yeah. Cruise, uh, not a musical, but it, it was a play um, before it became a movie. <laughs> yeah. So
0: uh, I'm just picturing like uh, you know the, the juries would be like a chorus where they, they like sing something out, and you know everyone you, you'd like you'd dramatically present your case in song. That would just that would be quite something. And then that I I'd imagine the judge would be like just like this kind of like deep baritone like kind of booming voice or something like that. It, you know, I, I, I don't know there's no idea just planting seeds for the future.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're onto something. <laughs> c-
0: could be my, my wife does some, some performing and, and, and producing and whatnot. And so, uh, in, 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 local theater. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe we could convince her to try to put something like that on. Cause she all, she likes these legal dramas and things like that as well. So, um,
1: yeah, you never yeah. know.
0: So, so here we are planning out your future. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, uh, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. It sounds like a great plan, you know, and, and I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, y- you have like a lot on your plate in terms of like being a lawyer and it's probably potentially long hours and you you work in the realm of uh, like civil law and personal injury, I think, um, you know, how, how does that sort of affect like... Cause I I just picture there it's not nearly as exciting maybe as it's presented to be in in terms of the law profession. And there's like maybe a lot of like slogging and and like hard work, or maybe you're now more managing people than you are managing cases. Is that right?
1: So I am managing people more than I am managing cases uh, these days. So um, and that's a very difficult thing to do (laughs) is manage people. Um, Working up a case is, I don't want to say it's easy. I mean, each case is different and, Hmm. uh, but I've been doing it for almost 15 years, so yeah, yeah. Uh, working working a case is something that I can do just because I've done it for so long. Right, Versus, yeah. you know, dealing with people, it's a it's a more challenging because you're just getting so many different types of personalities that you have to deal with and try to get the best performance from for their work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of always coming up with different strategies for how to manage people. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely do that more than I actually work on the cases these days.
0: Yeah. Humans and one such are more complicated than cases because with, with cases, you're, you're trying to deal with factual realities versus the sort of unpredictability of the human condition. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. But yeah. The yeah. human condition is what we study because we are picking juries and when you're doing jury selection, there are dozens, dozens of books on jury selection and the philosophy behind it. And how do you pull out people's bias and, and you know, inherent um, thoughts on whatever topic you're, you're trying to approach in trial? How do you pull all of that out of them in the 45 minutes you have to pick a jury? So it, it is really a study of human beings, in a lot of ways.
0: Mm, so mm, mm. Fair, fair enough. So <clears throat> and, and that's part of why we have this podcast here as well is to explore people's sort of human stories and our tagline is the stories that shape us. And so of course I wanted to dive into your story as well and kind of how it shaped the path that you've traveled. And um, I think one of the major elements in your story, and, ma- and maybe we get a little bit of backstory to this, but ultimately it was the the tragic passing of your mother at the age of 10. But um, if, if we run just a little bit before that, you give us a bit of a backstory kind of about your childhood and things l- leading up to that. I believe you grew up in, in a small town, Texas. Is that right?
1: Yes. I was uh, born in Tyler, Texas, and that was the big city. Okay. <laughs> uh, I grew up in, in a small town, um, Mineola, which I, I looking back, I really loved being from a small town because I think mm-hmm. that there, it's just kinder in a lot of ways, to yeah. grow up in a small town and not the big city, so um, they're just—it's just a kinder atmosphere, I think, uh, for kids. But I wouldn't say that my my childhood. My my son asked me the other day, "Was it easier being a kid or an adult?" And uh, I wouldn't say my childhood was particularly happy. I mean, it w- mm-hmm, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't terrible um, earlier, you know, before my mom passed, but mm-hmm. it was difficult. My my parents had gone through a divorce when I was six. Um okay, yeah. and I was being raised by my by my mom and my dad was a builder. And so this was the late eighties when building wasn't so great and the market wasn't right. so great for that. So we had some financial struggles as well. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. And what a what a kind of profound question to be asked by your son. It's <laughs> like easier as a kid or as an adult.
1: Yeah, he he has some insightful things to say. Uh, that one, my my eight year old, he's a he's a thinker.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was his thoughts on that?
1: Well, I I think he he has a lot of empathy, and so mm-hmm. I think he thought that it was uh, pretty sad to uh, for me to say that I didn't have a particularly happy childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he sort of felt he felt sorry. He said, Oh, I feel so sorry for you. And I'm, you know, and I, which I'm like, well, don't, I mean, it's just, it's more of an observation than it is with right, emotion right. attached to it at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And so um, you, you were living with your mom and you were, you were visiting uh, an aunt of yours um, mm-hmm. when it was, when you came across your mom and, you know, share, share what you're comfortable with, but kind of, uh, I guess, lay, lay the scene a little bit here. What, what happened and, and what was going on when you discovered her and kind of what went through your head?
1: Yeah, so uh it was it's amazing the kind of clarity you can still have and, and remember when such a big event happens to you, even at such a young age. And um there was no indication that mm-hmm, anything mm-hmm. like that was gonna happen. My my aunt was out of town, so I had a uh older cousin, but she was still in high school and she'd asked my mom and I to come over and, and stay with her while they were out of town. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um I remember we went and rented some movies from Blockbuster
0: Yeah,
1: I came back and uh, I had stayed up and watched one movie with her. I can't remember the movie I watched, but I remember she was, wa- she was going to stay up and watch Monty Python. Okay. And, yeah, classic. uh, yeah. And so she, you know, she went and put me in the guest room second night. Um, and it was a school night. It was, it was, uh, It was a Monday and Mm -hmm. I remember that also um, put me to bed, said, I love you. You know, all the things, there was no indication, no, you know, she was, she was ill. She had a, she had diabetes and Mm -hmm. had a really hard time managing it. And like I said, we had financial struggles. So insulin was not cheap. Um, so just her management and diabetes was so much harder to manage back in the eighties than it is now they've, they've really made a lot of good progress with that. But, um, but yeah, so I woke up to get ready for school and, um, she was lying in the living room floor and I walked in and just something inside of me knew immediately and when when i got close to her mm-hmm. and i i leaned down to touch her and she was cold to the touch and and my mm-hmm. heart just sank and i knew and my cousin came in and i was like i need to call my dad and she yeah, said yeah. what's going on and i said i said i i think she's dead and my cousin's like, "Oh no, we need to call an ambulance," or "I'm gonna call the neighbor." And I just, I just remember thinking, "I need to call my dad. I need to call my dad." <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, so she calls the neighbor, and the neighbor comes over, and then they decide to call the ambulance. And I, in my mind, I just remember thinking, it, "It's too late for this. Like, this is too late." Yeah, um, yeah. Even as just even as a child, knowing that it was it was too late for all of that. Um, mm. So, so yeah, about- it was. um and then, well, then it was just yeah. a, a, a lot of activity after that, a big bustle yeah. of activity after that, so.
0: But well, I think about, like, as what you kind of that? walk into that room, there's something about, uh, like, maybe us as as humans, and we can maybe sense the energy of another human, and we can't really put our finger on it necessarily, but when you walk into the room and you, and you see the body there, and you don't feel that, and and maybe we can't necessarily describe it exactly like what's going on but there's something intuitively in us that we know okay it's 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 the time's already passed like it's it's too late to to do something about this and so so now there's all this sort of like rush and like a bustle of activity and and, and whatnot and you're sitting here trying to you know really process what's what's taking place um i gather you probably wouldn't have went to school that day how did that day play out for you
1: I just, looking back, I was in shock, really. Mm -hmm. It's that feeling of seeing everything happening around you, but it's like you're part of it and not at the same time. And I remember the police were called. I remember uh, we were waiting on a Justice of the Peace to come out and declare her dead. I remember the ambulance. I remember when the ambulance got there and, and they walked in and they took one look at her and was like, there's nothing we can do here. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember my, my grandparents coming over, her parents. I remember my brother coming over, um, and the look on his face when he saw her. I just, I remember mainly calling my dad. I, I did call him myself and say, you need to come over to my aunt's house. Um, and he could tell immediately something was wrong. And I, he was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, um, I said, mom died. And he just said, "I'll be there as fast as I can." He hung up. Obviously, there weren't cell phones; you couldn't stay on the phone with somebody in the '80s. So, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Um, he just hung up, and and he just flew over there. And I, and I remember, you know, everybody being really c- concerned about me and sort of you know wanting to like keep me in this bubble um, and protect me. But it's like, well, I'd already seen the worst of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was to be shielded at that point. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, the JP came in and then they, you know, took her away and that was, and I didn't see her again until
0: the funeral home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So then kind of going through something like that young and I don't, I don't know how like, well, you know, you, you were given the opportunity to kind of process and navigate that. You know, I think sometimes maybe back, I mean, I was, I'm a child of the 80s as well. We weren't so well equipped. You know, we didn't have the internet as hard as it is to imagine nowadays. But, it, you know, didn't have internet, didn't have cell phones, things like that. Maybe access to information and resources wasn't really the same. How, how did that kind of affect, like, you know, at some point in time, you're going to have to go back to school and see your classmates again, kind of go through like your teen years without a mom to ask questions to and so on. And just there, there's like this gaping absence in your life, you know, how, how did that shape your kind of ensuing years as you went through high school, your, kind of your teen years?
1: Well, it definitely, most of all, it messed with my value and my self-worth because going through the grieving process as a child, the number one thing you start to think is what did I do? What did I do wrong? Mm, and yeah. there's a lot of like, I must've done something bad. And then it sort of became, okay, I didn't do anything bad, but, but my mom didn't take good care of herself. Why wasn't I worth it to her to take better care of herself? So there's a lot mm. of self-worth issues uh, just, and so it made me start, I mean, luckily my dad stepped in and was wonderful, but he still didn't fill that void left yeah, by course, my yeah. mother. And so I think I just had so many issues with self-worth that I was looking for external validation. So Mm -hmm. that's why I got, um, you know, I went through, uh, like a lot of girls, I went through like a little bit of an ugly duckling phase in my Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. middle school years. (laughs) And, uh, and I think that I just sort of, I was really down on myself a lot. Um, Yeah. And then, and so then I worked really hard to be physically attractive to, to get that validation from other people to hear that I was, you know, because you look physically attractive, you know, growing up in a girl in, in East Texas, yeah, yeah. a lot of time, that's what it's about. Um, yeah. and so I, I put a lot of time and effort into that, but it was just never internal. Like my internal mm-hmm. self-worth was just never there. And it was always a struggle, uh, yeah. especially during years.
0: Yeah. Um, did that that affect friendships, relationships, you know, um, did that sort of shape who you, who you maybe like led into your life in that capacity?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely did. I think that it was tough to have to have boyfriends. I sort of mm-hmm. felt like I was not ever um, really, I just didn't really think I was very worthy of being in a relationship or being cared about. Um, so I think that it really, it just really messed with myself, self-worth in that way that I, I had a hard time with boyfriends in particular. I, I, I felt like I needed to have a boyfriend or I needed to have a certain type of boyfriend or maybe this boyfriend wasn't good enough. I needed, mm-hmm. it, it just was messing with the idea that like who I dated was a reflection of me and my self-worth. So yeah. it was, it was really challenging in that way.
0: Yeah. And, and, and some really fascinating and, and self-aware insights kind of on, on hindsight and, and in reflection. And so I wonder, was there any sort of figure that stepped into your life that was a bit of a mother figure to you, or was that just something that was absent for you and, you, and being raised by a single dad, you just did the best he could?
1: Well, I had several people who were helpful. Uh, my mom's best friend was one of those. She really, um, she really stepped in and tried to do her the best she could, but I I was very much like, I don't want anybody to replace my mother. I was very sort of standoffish when it came Mm -hmm. to that idea of somebody trying to replace my mom. I just, I didn't want it. Um, My, my grandmother was pretty supportive and active in my life. I mean, my grandmother had younger sisters who, who were very supportive. So there were a lot of support around me, but I didn't want somebody coming in, trying to be my mom. Right. Um, Yeah. I. I was just like that. That person's gone, and I'm not gonna try to fill it with somebody else. Yeah. And um. But my dad, he was, you know, he he was in it. I mean, he was ready to step up and, you know, take me on full time. He didn't have me full time then. My mom did, uh, Mm -hmm. because they were divorced. But he was just immediately like, okay, I'm I'm stepping up.
0: And, and I mean, even though they were divorced, uh, I'm just, how, how did he handle the, the loss of her? Because again, it's something that's, that's sudden it's unexpected. There's, you, you know, you might consider, you might consider like last interactions and things like that. You, you know, how how did he handle that?
1: Uh, it's, it's hard for me to really say as a 10 year old girl, cause I was so wrapped Fair. up in my own.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah.
1: My own tragedy. But I think that he did take it hard. I think that he, still had a lot of love for my mom and um they just had a really tumultuous relationship and i think it it hit all of us hard because it, it was so unexpected and she was so young i mean she was 38 years old yeah so yeah. it's just uh i think i think everyone took it hard i think that that he did take it um i think that he felt a little bit like he had still lost the love of his life. Um, and he never, re, he never remarried. He never, um,
0: yeah.
1: you know, he just de- sort of dedicated his life to taking care of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is pretty remarkable. And you mentioned having a, a sibling, uh, older or younger?
1: Some uh, older brother. He was hmm. actually um, from my mom's first marriage. So okay. half brother. And um, he he was uh, eight, he was a senior i was in 5th mm-hmm. grade and and he was a, it was his senior year when this happened
0: yeah what kind of, what kind of relationship did you did you have with him uh like did he feel like a brother or was it sort of somewhat because of the age gap it really wasn't the same or
1: it really wasn't the same i mean he was so much older and just into yeah. different things and we just we never really saw eye to eye unfortunately he was he he had his own sort of issues with life uh, just because his dad wasn't present and my dad stepped mm-hmm. in or tried to step in. And, and there was, there were a lot of issues around that. And so we just were never close. It's funny. We actually didn't speak for about 10 years just because yeah. of um, how our relationship was. And then after my dad passed, we sort of started talking again through text And I think that it's been good. I think we feel more like we're, he he lost our mother. And so he felt like he lost everything and that I still have my dad. So we weren't quite on the same level. And then once I lost my dad, it's like, okay, now we've both lost everyone. (laughs) And somehow that sort of drew us a little bit more together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. You know, it's interesting how these kind of human experiences can really do that to, to relationship because it makes us maybe think about things differently. And, you know, regardless, you're still like a blood connection to him, you know,
1: right
0: you know, so, uh, so you ended up, um, uh, pursuing the, like pursuing the legal profession and whatnot, you know, you had some difficult relationships because you didn't really know how to maybe navigate a relationship and and whatnot. What started to turn the tide for you where, where maybe, you know, your, your struggles around self-worth, um, weren't, weren't, um, sort of maybe uh, leading to difficult relationships because, you know, obviously you found a husband, you got a couple of, you know, beautiful kids and and whatnot. So what was that, what was that turning point for you?
1: Well, I think that, and I've only come to realize sort of recently, I don't know that there was really a turning point. I know that um, my freshman year of high school, I was sort of going down the wrong path. I was Mm -hmm. hanging out with a bunch of seniors. I was not, um, Doing my schoolwork, I had failed a class. I just was, I felt like that was a pivotal moment in my life. And I was out at a party, and my dad came and got me from the party. This was super yeah. embarrassing, um, but I was just, I was doing a lot of the things that teenagers do, but I was doing it without a lot of guidance. And and we got in a huge fight, a huge fight. And um, that night, I remember was sort of a catalyst to turn the tides, and I. I turned, that was one turning point in my life. I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. that sort of got me on the road to, okay, where am I going in life? And, and luckily I found acting and um, singing and I just loved it so much that I wanted to sort of get my life straight so that I could pursue that. And, mm. you know, you couldn't participate if your grades weren't good and all of that. So I think that that helped me to sort of refocus and get myself together but I still struggled in in college even with relationships and and my relationship with my husband we've known each other for 20 years and it's definitely had its ups and downs over those 20 years but a lot of having to do oh, sure. again with just my own perception of my own self-worth and it wasn't until my dad passed that I really had to explore that pretty deeply yeah yeah and that was just what's, recently what's,
0: yeah. And, and that's, that's remarkable. And again, insightful to say, and I think it's, it's really powerful actually, because let's say we, we hear a story like this and like your story isn't complete. There's still a journey that you're on. And so there, there's so much growth that's taking place just over the years, inevitably. I mean, the thing about the responsibility of of being in a firm and being a managing partner in a firm, you know, being a mother and so on, all of these response, like life carries on, life doesn't stop and you have to carry out all these things. And somewhere in there, you you know, you have to fit try and fit a little bit of time in terms of like processing, growing, and developing, and and but you know how how fantastic is it to have someone sort of go alongside you? And you know, I think it wouldn't be like a meaningful relationship if there wasn't sometimes some tumultuous times because inevitably we're two human beings. Like I, I've been together with my wife for seventeen years, and you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs uh, along the way, but we we approach it through the lens of like we're going to figure this out one way or another. Like, yeah, we're going to butt heads, but we're going to figure this out because we decide that we're going to try and and kind of grow together. And has, has that been the case for you where there's, you know, you kind of had some growing and maturing together and whatnot.
1: Yeah, we did. We did. We got together so young and then we actually, we broke up for a while. We got, we went our separate ways and then ultimately chose to come back together after, after a bit, after a, a little separation of about three three to four years. Um, we had so many mutual friends. We still kind of knew of each other in the same circles. But, right. but yeah, I think we needed that. We needed that time to sort of separate. And I feel like I'm sort of constantly working on myself. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just, I, I feel like I have a, a tattoo on my foot that says, um pneumonia and it's a Greek word for, happiness, but what it really means is human flourishing. And I like mm. that because I feel like it's more active and more kind of just there's work attached to it. Right. And the purpose. I think that's what, yeah, I think that's what um, is what I'm sort of constantly doing to try to just improve as a human being. <laughs> so, Yeah, absolutely. Now there was a lot of work between the both of us, but ultimately came uh, back together and figured it out. <laughs>
0: I think one one of the things that maybe leads human beings to struggle is the idea that happiness is a destination. Like I'm just going to get to this point in my life where all the stars are going to align and for the rest of my life it's happily ever after. When we recognize that happiness is a, is a transient state. It's one that comes and goes as we navigate the highs and lows of life. And so, we set ourselves up ironically to be unhappy when there's this expectation that somewhere in my future is perpetual happiness. And so right. I love that this idea that, you know, this is really about human flourishing and we, we find happiness in having a sense of purpose and meaning, or maybe more than happiness, like a sense of fulfillment and even becoming comfortable with, you know, you talk about you're still a work in progress and you get to the place and, and, and maybe I would just ask rather to speak for you, but do you feel like you're now more comfortable about being a work in progress and maybe not feeling like it's something that should be concealed or, or, hidden.
1: Oh, Oh, absolutely. I think that for a long time I wanted to appear as if I had it all figured out and I wanted to just put that out into the world. Like I know what I'm doing. Don't, don't question me. I'm I've got this and I, and I feel that way about certain topics. Yeah. I've, I, if you want to come talk to me about a, a case in the, in the legal field, I, I feel really confident in that. And, and yeah, at this point I am okay with saying that I'm still learning and I'm still working on myself. And I think that that's a lifelong pursuit Uh, Hmm. and there's nothing Hmm. wrong with that at all. And yeah, it's even good for you.
0: Well, abs- absolutely. Because again, happiness isn't really its destination. We get to this point in development where we think I'm, I'm supposed to be happy here and I'm not. Well, it's because there, there's more. And we, we recognize when we get to this point that, oh, I actually have capacity for more growth and for more learning, more development. And that's, that's part of like the enriching human sort of experience. And so one of the things I want to make sure we don't miss here is we're 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 getting near to the end of the episode, but we, you mentioned the passing of your dad and that, that there was, that was relatively sudden as well. And that only happened in uh, 2020. Is that right?
1: Correct, yeah. At this time, around this time in 2020.
0: Two years ago at the time of recording this. And, y- you know, um, was this one unexpected and sudden as well?
1: It was. Uh, he, he had had health problems for several years, but, you know, we always thought he was sort of like a cat with nine lives. He mm-hmm. always managed to come through it. And I guess I he jokingly said that a fortune teller told him once he was going to live to be 82. And so for, in my mind, I just always thought, he would at least get to 82. And so Mm -hmm. it was just sudden it was during COVID and, uh, he just passed suddenly at home and it was, it was a huge shock. And we talked every single day. I talked to him every day on the way home from work, uh, on the weekends, we were just super close. And so it was a huge shock and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, pretty devastating.
0: What what age was he when he passed?
1: He was uh, seventy nine.
0: Okay, he yeah, and so you um, think about how you would have you navigated grief without maybe, a, if I could put it this way, maybe like not a lot of direction or understanding as a child.
1: Correct, <laughs> you're right. There wasn't many resources <laughs> back then. To right, help.
0: this time around, and I wonder, did it bring back? you know, sometimes a, a traumatic event like that or a shocking event like that can really bring us back to this place mentally and emotionally where we were before Did, did you find maybe to your surprise that some of these feelings you'd experienced as a 10 year old were coming back to you or like, I've been through this before somehow?
1: You know, I think I was just more about, okay, this day has finally come. When mm, okay. it happened when I was 10, I spent a lot of time living in fear of losing my dad. Okay. And so part of it was just, okay, it's finally here. Because I had spent so much of my life worrying about him and worrying about when he was going to pass and sort of like, what am I going to do? Being scared about stability, I think. Um, obviously he passed when I was very stable. I mean, I can take care of myself when you're a young child, yes, you're worried right. really like, who's going to take care of me? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And so part of it was just like, okay, it's finally here. This day has finally come. And the day I had worried about for 30 years had yeah. finally manifested and well, how uh, to deal with all that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I guess I, I think about it. And of course, hindsight being 2020, 20, you know, cause you couldn't have known when this day was going to come, but did, did 30 years of worrying about this, you know, serve you, I guess, really in a sense.
1: Uh, I always tell my kids don't spend your time worrying about those things. They, they've sort of, you know, they've had to be exposed to me losing my dad. And then of Mm. course they have questions about death and then they start asking, well, I'm so worried about the day you're dying. And I just, I say, absolutely. Do not worry about this one. You have no control over it. Absolutely none. And I made so many decisions in my life, because worrying about being too far away from my dad, mm, mm, mm. being getting too much distance, not being around, uh, and not being there to, to jump in if something happened. Yeah. Um, it's just, and it's what it, it did not serve me, I don't think, very well. I think that I made a lot of choices based out of fear rather mm, than mm. wanting to make the choice, but I think just being sort of afraid of losing him.
0: Yeah. What, what do you miss most about your dad?
1: Uh well, the thing that I've been working on for the past two years is the fact that he was so much of a a sounding board for me. When I had a mm. stressful day or a problem, he just always knew the right thing to say to me. And I remember when COVID hit and no one knew what was going on in the world and I had we just moved and bought a new house and we hadn't sold our other house yet. And I was sort of freaking out. And he just told me everybody in the world feels this way right now. No one knows what's going on. Everyone feels just like this. You are not the only one. He just always had such a good, a good way of putting things into perspective for me. Yeah. I miss that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, your kids had uh, the opportunity to get to know him as, as grandpa as well. They did yeah they yeah. did and and how how did you help them you know because you now know what it's like and I know it's losing a grandparent versus a parent isn't quite the same thing, but I imagine there's still some grief connected to that, and uh you could you have a, a sort of different level of empathy because you now understand as a child what it's like to have a significant loss like that and how did you help them sort of process and navigate that grief at, at, at a really young age?
1: Well, one thing is I didn't try to hide my grief from them. I think that letting them know that it's okay to cry. And sometimes they would see me start to tear up and and don't cry mommy. And I would just remind them it's okay. These are just it's part of the process. I just have to feel this way. I have to cry. I have to, you know it's all the love for grandpa that Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. still, is is not able to be expressed to him directly. That's what it is. And so a beautiful way of putting it. that's why I'm so sad. And I think the other thing is to talk about him, to have, to tell stories about him, um, funny stories too. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of humor in my life with my dad and I I will tell them the funny stories. So I think laughing and smiling helps process that grief and remembering those good things and just keeping that person Sort of present in your life, even though they're not not around anymore,
0: yeah keep, keeping the, their memory alive and and keeping them alive in your heart and yeah, I think you touched on some really, really important things, one, not being afraid to talk about the individual, and I think sometimes we fear when when uh a loved one or a close friend or someone has lost uh someone in their life that we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to stir up feelings of pain by reminding them of their loss, and yet one of the best things I think we can do for someone who's grieving is to to celebrate that person and and the 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 role or the place that they had in that individual's life, so giving place that and maybe the second thing being, and what a beautiful lesson to teach your boys in particular because I'm 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 a I've got a 20 month old son and I just think about how I want to help him to develop as an emotionally healthy male where it's okay to feel feelings, it is okay to have feelings and if anything, it's incredibly unhealthy to block and suppress them. And, and, you know, I I love being male and masculine. I love being strong physically. It just, you know, it's part and parcel with being masculine, I guess, but I don't think it diminishes masculinity to have feelings and to feel them. And so dispelling that myth um, I think is, is remarkable. Maybe one of the best gifts that you can, you can give to your boys that it's just, it's okay to feel these things and it's part of being human.
1: Absolutely. I think that is very important for boys Today, especially growing up, I I want my boys to be able to to feel their emotions, recognize what they are, recognize where they're coming from. I always say, name it to tame it. You know, let's let's I love that. let's um, let's let's figure out what you're feeling right now. Are you frustrated? Are you mad? Are you tired? Are you hungry? Like, let's let's get to what it is that's causing this. And uh, just being able to recognize, I think, is so important. And then, yeah, process it and then, like, okay, let's get into your feelings. Let's let's have them. And it is that. okay to cry. Uh, if if it's you know if it's something worth crying over, it's you know you don't want to just cry yeah, about every yeah. little thing in the world. But, but we definitely <laughs> right, right. want our boys to to have those emotions and not to bottle them up. It's just so it's so unhealthy for you.
0: Yeah, to yeah. have so uh,
1: much of that bottled up.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that suppressed emotions diminish our immunity and lead to health issues in ways that we can't necessarily measure in a scientific study. But I think we as human beings have this understanding that there is something about suppressed emotions that leads to some form of like dis-ease, dis- really, we could say, in, in the body. Um, well, lastly, it's truly been a pleasure chatting with you. I really um I appreciate your openness and just sharing your experience here. You know, it, it I know it's it's been maybe a number of years. You've you probably spoke about it a lot, but I think it still takes courage to to step forward and to share your experience. And so I really want to acknowledge you and appreciate that you you're willing to come and do that to help other people as they navigate difficult experiences. So I wanted to thank you for that. And the final question I always like to ask my guests is if um Kind of if you could offer one nugget that you would like people to take away. If they've listened to this conversation today and you think, you know, if I could just impart one little nugget I would like people to take away from this, what would that be?
1: I think it's that grief is survivable. It feels like the world is coming to an end when you lose someone that's so close to you. But you just keep taking one more step forward every day and you do get through it. And, you know, resilience and it's not about bouncing back. It's just being able to to bend when the hard time comes. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, you know, keep moving forward. Everybody experiences it. It's it's a collective feeling. Everybody's going to lose someone. And, and it gives me great comfort to know that there are other people out there feeling the same things that I'm feeling. So yeah. I think that knowing like here's a person that has experienced grief on a, on a very deep level and still managed to move forward. That would give me a lot of comfort. So I hope that that, that gives other people comfort.
0: I love that. I think, I think to myself grief is inevitable in life. Because it's it's a part of being human and it, it means that something precious and valuable has been in our life. But I, I love that final thought, just that grief is survivable. And maybe that's the thing that stops us from grieving is this fear of what we'll, what we'll experience if we allow grief to be fully expressed. So what a beautiful takeaway. Grief is survivable. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. It's truly been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, I'm just excited for what comes next for you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review, because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become. And I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you, because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward. Anyone
1: can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.